welcome to another $5 buzz. I ask that you please lock the door behind you. Make sure the towel is properly positioned. Uh, you're walking in, as I said, on another $5 buzz. Uh, Pete's got some great dank. I know this time, did it come from the reservation? Can you confirm that? I'm not sure, man. Okay. Pete in Los Angeles. Roger Mayer out in Los Angeles as well. How are you tonight, sir? It's actually afternoon, which is really weird for me, but it's all great. Great. Well, uh, we're bringing back a very great friend of the show, Tom Glasgow, Plattsburgh native, uh, Clifford Ball attendee, which is uh, very important because this is part two of the Clifford Ball show it's, that it's, uh, we released. It's great to be back with the buzzards again. And <laughs> if the RA busts this up, I say we give them all fake names. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's actually used the, word, the name Susie Greenberg in the past. And that's uh, Junie. Yes. Junie Lupiani. Uh, and we promised the audience that we would have uh, a fish expert on part two. Uh, it's none other than uh, Sigmund Bloom himself. A lot of the audience may be familiar with his work from Football Guys, which he's been a part of for about 15 years now. Uh, Sigmund, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yes. And uh, just to give a little background about Sigmund beyond uh, his role at football guys, he attended Syracuse University. Was that during that uh, Harrison Donovan McNabb era? You bet. You bet. What, what was that senior year like for uh, Harrison? He was putting up video game numbers. Yeah, I still remember the first Syracuse football game I went to was uh, Syracuse against Oklahoma, and they were down, I think, 24-3 or 27-3. They came back to take a 28-27 lead. We were going to storm the field. I want to say they kicked the uh, kickoff out of bounds, uh, which set up like a long field goal for Oklahoma to win. So it, this is more me talking through my pain. Really what I remember most <laughs> is the, the 96 uh, Final Four run with uh, John Wallace and that team. That was magical. That was the height, I think. Although I, I, Donovan McNabb was also a pretty good basketball player, believe it or not. Right, I forgot about that. Was Ryan? What was it? Ryan Blackwell? Was he there? Do you remember? I think name? a little bit after that, like the next, the next wave. Yeah, because one of our buddies from high school, uh, Mike Vale, he played against Ryan Blackwell. And I couldn't imagine what that would, what must have looked like. Um, <laughs> and then you went to graduate school down in UT uh, Austin. Was that during the Ricky Williams, a uh, little bit of Roy Williams, Major yes. Applewhite era? Yes, it was the end of the Makovic era. So my first year at law school there, I took a walk on campus the day they were playing UCLA, the classic Route 66 game. And when I, I was within earshot of the stadium, I heard UCLA score a touchdown. Then when I was walking past the stadium, they scored another touchdown. Then when I was just almost out of earshot of the stadium, they scored another touchdown. And I didn't mind it. You know, I identify with Syracuse. I don't identify with UT. I think of UT kind of representing the family, like the kid who gets a brand new SUV when they turn 16. So yeah. I was not sad to see UT struggle. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Sigmund, before we really get into fish, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. You know, as far as it relates to podcasts, uh, your show was the first podcast I ever listened to in 2008. And it's a kind of interesting story. I, I think you might appreciate it uh, because I know that you grew up in Western Pennsylvania and mm. you were a pretty big Pittsburgh uh, Penguin fan. Is that right? So you, yeah. You, you enjoyed some hockey. So my friend uh, Danny Cohen and I, we went up to visit a friend in Buffalo. This is 2008. I think it's week eight, 2008. So we go to a Buffalo Sabres game. Sabres win, which was a rarity. Everybody's jacked yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> next day, my buddy Danny and I are 
you know, he, my friend John has three kids, so there's not a lot of spare room. So we're split in the spare room. It's like we wake up at six o'clock. We're giddy. We're going to a Buffalo Bills game. It's a beautiful morning for Buffalo. It's about 60 degrees, which is pretty remarkable. And we, we know we're going to this tailgate. And this is really before hyper uh, intense social media. And, and we're he- like the Bills tailgate starts on a Friday night. And we're like, really, where I come from, you know, New York City, Long Island, if you go anywhere near Giant Stadium earlier than four hours, you'll probably get escorted out by uh, (laughs) police or worse. So it's six o'clock and I look at Danny. I'm like, what are we going to do? He's like, well, yeah. Have you ever heard the Football Guys podcast? I'm like, they have a podcast because I was in the message boards and I was following and I heard you and Sigmund, I mean, you and Cecil your voice comes on and it's a two hour show about football and it really changed my life. I'm like, wow, this is something these guys talk about fantasy football for two hours uninterrupted and they're smart. They're clever. They know exactly what they're talking about. And I've been listening to your show essentially, you know, for the past, what, 13 years now. It's incredible. I mean, it's always there. It's Tom, would you say it's like a warm blanket, right? Yeah, It's a safe voice for me. Uh, <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll cover the Bills side first. Right. Uh, is just, a, I mean, it's just, it's great. It's, it's, uh, yeah, they're like family voices. I listen to it every week during football season. And, and just on the couch. The, yeah, on yeah. the couch is great. And that football game was kind of significant. The NFL Films actually did a, sh- uh, uh, a movie about it. It was called The Quiet Game for, cause for the first like, uh, quarter and a half, there was no power. They were playing, uh, the Chargers, which was like the Ladanian Tomlinson era, and there was no power in the stadium, and it, I've never seen anything like that. You know, there was it was it was silent, and I was thinking they're going to run out of beer, everyone's going to get upset. How long is this going to be okay? And they 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 got it together. The Bills won. You know, there was suplexes in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> being broken. It was a really great time. So, uh, Sigmund, thank you for being here and um we'll talk a, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your fish experience but tom uh i know you've been to a lot of shows and one of them that sticks out was that providence show was that was that like 2010 like what time period are we talking about? yeah yeah it was right around 2010 I, I believe i don't know i i i'm terrible with dates but uh yeah we uh we had a suite that night and uh i wish i could have enjoyed the show more than i did because uh, we had a friend with us uh, who couldn't drink beer so she had to and you couldn't order a, a a drink of alcohol you had to order a bottle of alcohol so basically spent most of the show just passing this bottle of vodka around I, I shouldn't be drinking liquor anyway but uh basically by the time we left the show i was uh just out of my mind uh drunk and uh got into uh some balloons afterwards uh outside <laughs> the show and uh I was several balloons deep and uh, the brain cells were just, just bursting and just like getting taken down in, in, in large swaths. Synapses and, getting uh, fried. Yes. Very aggressive behavior. Very uh, aggressive. George. <laughs> just like that, uh, that, that show we caught in uh, Albany 95 at the Nick. Dosing at the Ooh. Nick, right? Yes. Yes. Very. So, yeah. Sure. So you now, can- Sigmund, when you, uh, yeah. when you arrived at Syracuse, you know, from Western right. PA, were you did you know a lot about fish coming into Syracuse? Could you give us I, I think 94 sure. was 93, 94 was when they were peaking in terms yep. of shows played, correct? Yes. So I got there um in 1993 and I I mean y'all are so indulgent. I mean, I could easily turn this into like my life story. But look, <laughs> I I went to school in Western Pennsylvania in a coal mining town 
I wanted nothing more than to get out of there by the time I was in eighth grade. Um, growing up in the, a town like that, and it's become like an Oxycontin uh, uh, oh, casualty. Um, I could tell stories about that. Uh, they even affect my, uh, touch on my family again. Um, but I, I associated doing drugs, you know, getting high with losers, right? I mean, you're in a small backwater town of Pennsylvania. Uh, but I, I was into jazz. I was weird, you know. I, I got the Columbia house and just ordered like the first 12 CDs under jazz, you know. And that's how I discovered Miles Davis and some different things. And then when I got to college and I was listening to Miles Davis in my dorm room, somebody said, well, you should check out this band Fish. And I also knew these two hippie chicks in my dorm that it was actually the summer. I, went, I wanted so bad to get out of my hometown that I went to take college classes in the summer before my freshman year. I remember it was after Hurricane Andrew and there were a lot of kids um, who lived in South Florida who had no choice but to come up to Syracuse to start early because of what Hurricane Andrew did down there. And the most beautiful time of the year in that part oh, of New yeah. York State is like August, the Petals of the flower open up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. And they were going to that Darien Lake show, the roller coaster of the mind. And they had written Gone Fishing on their whiteboard on their door. And they seemed like that. I had never seen two human beings so happy in my life. <laughs> and they looked on leaving to go to Darien Lake. So that was the first little flicker of like, hey, you know, you should look into this. And then um, my friend Dan Sarko and my friend Darren Graham uh, just said, come on. It was uh, Binghamton, April 9th, yep. 94. They said, come on, yeah. come on. Um, and I think that, I mean, I could, I could, you know, wax uh, uh, rhapsodic about how it affected Please me. Do. Because, well, first of all, again, it was this feeling of, and I know y'all be able to relate to this when I say this, like there is truly no place you'd rather be in that moment than at that show. And you could walk around this, the lot before the concert and just feel the, the um, euphoria before the show even started. It was palpable. Yeah. And, and, they, and the lights go down and you know everybody is just, I mean, like jumping out of their souls or jumping out of their bodies and the band opens with Magilla. and if you if you, awesome. if you know fish's catalog that you'll know Magilla. it's like this whimsical little jazz ditty that would have fit like down here in new orleans like in the 30s or 40s and everybody's just like all doing their charlie brown kid dance you know what i mean and it, <laughs> yeah. and it was just like you you be you like do you yeah like no, nobody is bothering to to even care about what anyone else is doing because they're so immersed in what they're doing over the course of the night they did like a big ball jam uh they played peaches and regalia which just knocked me over i know that in the last episode you said fish compared most closely to frank zappa and which was exactly what was in my head when you started that sentence um and they did mike song back in the day when they used to fill up the whole arena with smoke and then start the strobes so you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face but the whole atmosphere around you was just pulsating with, with light in this amazing synchronicity with this jam. The encore of the show was Highway to Hell, Amazing Grace. Wow. You know, <laughs> that's like Max von Sydow, like playing Jesus Christ in one movie and Satan in another movie. You know what I mean? Awesome. I mean, it, 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 it encapsulated everything. But she and, has. <laughs> yes, I mean, this range by far, the greatest range. And the Merciless Ming. Ex and, yeah, and everything Flash in between. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, 
man, now we'll go on another track. So listen, some of the things I did, I was listening to part one this morning and some of the things that y'all said and uh, about the phenomenon of fish not having any mainstream recognition really, but having this fervent following. I think for me, what I felt most during that show was a sense of belonging, a sense of here's a place that I fit in, just being me. And there's no price of admission, like that you must be this tall to enter or something like that. The only requirement is that you want to be there. Oh, man, if I can jump in, Sigmund, to that, yeah. to that sentiment, man. I mean, I think Tom and I can relate in the sense that that mystique that you speak of in 93, 94, when our friends, and because we're from Plattsburgh and them being from Burlington, we had obviously heard that same kind of buzz and that thing, but you're right. That first show you go to, you have permission at that young age to be yourself and to be free and actually mm -hmm. experience freedom. And you know, you know that you say that now, it actually really affects me because it's, that's exactly what it is. You don't, you can just freak out in your own way. And, and truly when you, when the realization hits you that nobody's judging you around you and nobody cares what you're doing they're they're there because this experience is happening. That is the power that is fish and that, and it's at, at, so 94 you're talking about, right? Yeah when this happens. And so 96, when they get to the Clifford ball and this, they've done nothing of that magnitude. It's that it's double the size of anything they've done. But prior, mm -hmm. could you imagine the nerves they were feeling too? Oh. That I always feel, I always think about that. Like, what were they thinking? I remember watching the video clip of the tour bus pulling up and what they must have been feeling, because just the magic you just spoke about, that feeling that you had, they must have too. And I think that's part of the connection and part of the great experience that is a fish concert is that they're right there with you. They're jumping off the diving board right with you as you're doing it too, especially with all like that jazz and that and that just psychedelic experience that they can get into. And, and no two shows are the same. You know, that's the other thing about it, you know. There's a lot of great footage of Mike Gordon riding around the the base uh, on a bicycle, you know, just going through the crowd and, and interacting with the fans. And I'm sure they oh, got really? as yeah. big a kick out of it as mm -hmm. as the fans did. I mean, I mean, if I can interject just one second, you know, I, I've got that feeling, too, before in my lifetime. The one you're talking about, that connectivity where you're all one and you're in this space together. And it was the first time I saw uh, Dead Kennedys and X at the Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach. Wow. And the whole place was being torn up. You know, it was kind of the opposite <laughs> of Good Time, Charlie, but it was more of a, a one single unit of mass destruction all in it together. And it was, uh, but the, in that case, though, you really are connected to the band because you're jumping on a stage. They're jumping in the audience. Everybody, it's like just one big melee. So there's a similarity there. That's all I'm saying. I mean, most you definitely, can, you can man. find it in a lot of, yeah. you know, when you when you find your tribe is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's one collective uh, energy. So I'll interject and I'll say the probably the closest, the most adjacent group of music fans to Fishheads are Juggalos. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> in the Wikipedia page. In fact, <laughs> that's hysterical. And you're right. And, you know, Jack White did a, a song with the uh, 
juggalos. Yeah, what, what's they're they're both from insane, Detroit, right? Insane yeah. clown posse. Yeah, it's all yeah. Detroit stuff. Tom, you didn't have the uh, you didn't have the great Malenko uh, in uh, in your rotation back then. I was the third clown <laughs> from the posse. I, <laughs> they they booted me out of the band before they exploded, but uh, I'm like Clarence from the Beatles, you know. <laughs> Or, or Ian Stewart from the Rolling Stones. Right? <laughs> you can play, but you just got to sit on the other side of the curtains, right? <laughs> so, Sigmund, in, you yeah. know, after you see that first show, you know, mm -hmm. the, as we build towards the eventual uh, topic here of the Clifford Ball, were there, were you, did you just catch the bug and try Immediate. and start catching as many Immediate. shows as possible? I needed, I, I walked out of Binghamton thinking, I need this to happen in my life as soon as possible. Uh, I didn't make it to another show until great woods on just july 8th which happened to be the last time they played well yeah the last time they played game hinge in its entirety that was wow. the first set of that show and wow. i remember and i was still new and i just remember seeing people around me like be truly beside themselves in the sense of everywhere i looked, people were just gesticulating in this way that they truly could not believe what was happening whenever uh, mike gordon started to say you know can we put your hand you know yes and everyone's like this is okay we're not this isn't going to be a normal show you know it might wow. be a little numb um and, and then it you know uh and then after that it was just i i need more like uh, my whole life was organized around fish's tour schedule from like 94 <laughs> to um 99 with the dash of 2003 uh and, and it grew but building up to the ball 96 summer 96 was the first tour that did the entire tour and I have a, a, a story from the Park City show, similar kind of. I mean, so you're going all over the U.S. At this yeah, point. we did. We and I did the whole. I did in '95. I did Boise through um, Nissan Pavilion, and I also got to Canandaigua and um, I think Saratoga that year too. Uh, but that was there's there's stories upon stories, right? And that was the whole point, right? I mean, the band and the music was just the thing to get you out on. Of your front door and then things would happen in your life segment i i have to yeah. say because yeah. i had this thought really earlier that you say that just because you just mentioned the story i I've, i have this ongoing conversation with my friend shane who has also been on several tours done the whole done the store and every time we leave a show together we come to the realization that the show the music of the show matches the story of your night in some <laughs> crazy way you know right. what i mean it it is sure. this perfect soundtrack to that experience that you're having as well i don't know if it's because it's different every time but it's this risk versus reward <laughs> pardon me that the band does and the payoffs and all of the emotional ups and downs that you go through every night is its own story yeah. Well, and I think it's because of the, the nature of the universe is like a fractal, right? Turtles all the way down. So what they are bringing into existence is a special moment of the vintage of that time and place, right? That, could, that show could only happen in that space and that night with those people there. And so, of course, it's going to be the motif of... And, and, and even to like, sometimes you could go to a show and you could feel, and look, we could get into interesting conversations here about West Coast crowds versus East Coast crowds, right? Because East Coast crowds are like, <laughs> I mean, East Coast crowds, like you talk about, you know, being so, so drunk, 
that you you know you could you don't know what happened to you for the rest of the night. I mean, that's an easy <laughs> show. And yes. because of that, you can have shows like you know the Island Tour, Second Night at Nassau Coliseum, it's right there with any two set show ever. And by the way, George, when you were saying you're from Strong Island, yeah. I really just wanted to ask you: Did you get arrested at Jones Beach? Well, Pete, <laughs> I never everybody really gets got, arrested. Everybody Jones gets Beach. arrested at Jones Beach, right? I've, I've been to so Jones true. Beach really only to go like a, a family beach because I grew up in Suffolk County. Which George, we saw County. we saw Roger Waters at Jones Beach. Yeah, together. we saw Roger Waters there. You saw I, that Chris Cornell or Audio Slave show. Yeah. I saw Dylan there. My beach was a spot called Smith Point, which was out East Long Island. And the thing that Smith Point is most famous for, I think it was in 1996. Uh, a, a plane went down in the water mm. off Long Island, and I, I knew a couple of guys that were surfing out there, and right. they actually got questioned by the FBI. Isn't but that one of those conspiracy theory ones where some people say there was a cruise missile launched from the shore? Yes. And... Yeah. This was pre-internet, so we didn't really get to go that far into it. But I was more like growing up on out east by uh, you know places that folks would know as like the Hamptons and Montauk, mm -hmm. and I was in that part of the world, but. Jones Beach, I, that's where I saw my very first show ever. The Monkees, Herman's Hermits, uh, <laughs> Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, Tom. You remember those guys? It is a beautiful place to see a concert. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it gorgeous. Is. But, he's right. but he's right. The state trooper, it's a state park and those state yeah. troopers are ball busters. You can't drink oh, out man. there and yeah. they're the worst. It has the same reputation that Nassau Coliseum had for the dead. They would just round up hippies and yeah. arrest them, and they would miss the fucking show, and mm -hmm. that's what would happen. Absolutely. I was, I was warned. I was warned. So I think it makes sense that your experience of the show reflects the show in a way that just makes sense to you yes. because it's it's manifestations of one event on different levels, like at the micro to the macro. Um, but but bringing it all back to the Clifford Ball. So and I could tell a story about Park City, the first show of the tour. I did not see the whole show i was i would i would i had decided during that show that i was going to go walk down into the valley and start my life brand new for some reason. we understand yeah yeah uh, we, we understand you know, it's it's this is the nature of, of of that period of your life so we did the whole tour and it was all culminating in clifford ball and I'll, I'll, I'll first of all i want to say like my little piece of trivia here if you you know the clifford ball well you know there's a point, I think it's the second set of the first night. It might be the second night, but I think it's the first night when Trey says, you, you've been down there every show, right yes. in the front and center. Those, yeah. that is, ugh, it, it, it might be Eli Stein and it might be his brother, Aaron Stein. But really? Eli and Aaron Stein were uh, friends of mine at Syracuse, uh, huge fish heads. And they were there, like at Red Rocks, the Four Nights of Red Rocks. They were the first people in line every night. And one night, the fourth night, because we knew it was going to be the last Red Rock show ever, we, we thought. Eventually it wasn't. Um, that's a whole other, we do a whole show on Red Rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It happened there. You want to talk about rounding up the hippies? <laughs> they they oh, really did, like, to do, like, the, 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 the storm front came through Morrison. Oh, man. Colorado anyway. Gestapo. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's, that's, and we were up front with them for that show. Um, but that's Eli and Aaron, and it eerie in 1995. Eli and Aaron, between the two of them, they look very similar. Um, would always get up front for the encore, and they would yell, "Funky bitch, funky bitch!" <laughs> and then finally, at the Warner Theater um, in fall of '94, which is an amazing show, strictly because of the venue. I mean, just it was 
it was surreal to be in this amazing ornate little theater in Erie, PA, seeing fish. It was great. There's a tremendous version of Antelope from that show. I highly recommend. But um, I remember on the way to the show, we were talking like, what do you want to hear tonight? You know, and, and Eli said, well, it's the same thing I want to hear every night, funky fish. And then right before the encore, um, Trey is about to play something and then he laughs to himself in that Trey way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he looks over at the band and he says, you, you are up front every night yelling for this. This song is for you and that guy over there. And, 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 th and this was a time when Funky Bits was played like once a year. Yeah. You know, maybe once a year. So, so those are the two, two stories like to tie up. But the Clifford Ball, more than anything else, was this moment. I'll never forget this, guys. What's beautiful about doing the show with you is it can really transform you right back to these moments. Great. And we're pulling in at like three in the morning. We wanted to get into the campgrounds as soon as we could. And we see this sign that says, tune your radio to whatever call number it was. The ball radio. It was like 89.1 or something like that. And at the moment we turn the radio to ball radio, um, it's Jack, uh, it's um, John McLaughlin by, uh, from Bitches Brew, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it might be the song that I use in On the Couch uh, in the intro. Yeah, with the wow. ride symbol, yeah. Right. Yep, yep. And it just had this feeling like, you never heard Bitches Brew on the radio? You know what I mean? Yeah. You were entering into an alternate dimension that like made sense. You know, and then the, as everyone arrived, and I think the band had the same feeling, it was just this feeling of, look at us. Wow. <laughs> it was the first time that the whole scene had really assembled in one place to say, just look at this. Look at this. And uh, it was truly a sense of awe because we could have imagined it, but never real. It was so much like a dream. It was yes. so much like dream consciousness and and living waking consciousness merging uh it, it was an it was just i think everybody was truly in this sense of like already when you're at a fish show you have to pinch yourself right but this took that to an entirely new level and i i just i think because of that everybody that was there will remember it in a way that except for maybe um uh, Big Cypress. I think Big Cypress was the other festival that had this feeling of like, this is just unreal. Like I can. I've heard that about Big. I did not go. Did you go to that one? Yeah, and it was just. I think that it was while I was there, I had this feeling of like, maybe this is the universe winking at us because everything is going to come to a screeching halt. And what a better place to be, and what better people to be with. And we all brought like two months of provisions anyway. So amazing. Bring it on. But yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think it was it was it was really special because I think that. Um, I don't think anybody was prepared for this, you know, can't help but fall back on words like this, how heady it was, but just how um, everybody was walking like six inches above the ground. The yeah, whole, man. The whole weekend. So do you think it's fair to say that <clears throat> that that moment in time in the band, in the band's genesis, that that was because it worked out that way, because so many people can say that same experience. I mean, I know for myself, that the electricity and the in the in the vibe was such so, such that I mean I was very young as well as eighteen years old and just just all the newness of it all but that solidified them as this band really I mean it, they had a lot of years prior already but the fact that they pulled it off in this in that in that way that what's the word I'm looking for like 
abstract almost like are uh, it's a, it, you're saying like you said you're walking six inches above the ground when you were in there and for them to have pulled that off you know leads to now what 25 30 yeah. years of of amazing stories that anybody that goes to i mean i try and catch a show every year that i can you know i don't i can't go as much as i used to you know in my youth but if they're in town i'm going you know yeah maybe i'll even take a trip with some friends to do it once or twice a year too you know it's interesting too because like a lot of times you don't realize you're witnessing something special until after you've seen it you look back and you go wow that was amazing i can't believe that but you know the 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 things that you're talking about realizing in real time like i am watching like the game hen show or the or the clifford ball or big cypress or the uh the uh baker's dozen well, when you're watching it, you know you're watching something special in the moment. Like it's it's pretty unique to have a band that does that like on the regular. You know? I, I one other a, thing about the go ahead, George. I was Sorry. just gonna say one small thing to note about the Clifford Ball. Also, was kind of like the end of you know that was like the dawn of like the real um, internet age being uh, coming into uh, you know omnipresence. You know, I, we joked in the other episode that, you know, if you wanted to check your email, you needed a hard disk. You had to <laughs> make, you had to like physically walk to a library and check an email. But, you know, after this, you know, we're talking about everyone had the email, everyone had the internet and business models changed and everything kind of, uh, you know, came into today's, mo- you know, leading up to today's mobile environment. And what I noticed is, you know, 93, 94, was like the peak of what Fish was doing in terms of shows being played. But if you look at it uh, just from a year to year basis, they kind of really trail off in the amount of shows that they're playing and more, maybe they're getting smarter and uh, more efficient, you know, and maybe after the Clifford ball, they said, wow, we really have this enormous audience. And, you know, maybe we don't have to go to play SUNY Binghamton, Brockport and Geneseo in one week. We can maybe just show up at the carrier dome and, get everybody you know? but george look how they're pushing themselves they do yeah. 13 nights at msg yeah. not repeating a song can yeah. you is there another band that's done that i mean it's not absolutely incredible mm-hmm. um you know also on that same point george is that the tapes from that show are not the greatest as i've read you know i've not really ever heard them except they did release their box set and i think just but from that alone garnered a lot of fans because of the the quality is so incredible and some some say some of their best versions of songs are done during the clifford ball i have multiple friends that think the fluffhead they did there was one of the best in all timer you know so talking about technology now you can access that you can just go on spotify and listen to it. it's pretty incredible yeah i i listened to both nights or days nights uh on re-listen over the last two weeks, it's like eight hours worth of music. And it, beautifully, it's amazing that you can just pick a show and pull it up and listen to anything you want to listen to. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's incredible. And the Dude, sound is, is yeah. very good. I've listened to the Clarkson University show a couple of times, and it's just crazy that, you know, Fish has been at all these places, and it's somebody in the crowd thought to record it. And it's just, that never ceases to amaze me, that there was somebody thinking... You know, most of the times you go into a show when you, especially like college or teenager, you're just going and you're not really thinking about a lot, but I'm glad that there were a lot of, uh, 
folks out there that had the hindsight to, you know, record it and everything's out there. It's crazy. It's all in your pocket now, man. You know? And we, if I can we, interject on that, on that point, because something else I remember from that time. So once I got into fish, I immediately dove headfirst into the tape trees, right? Uh, because this was before, like you said, you, c- you can't just have it in your pocket. You can't just download it from a hard drive. I'm not a fish fan. What are tape trees? Well, so basically the way it would work is that somebody that recorded a show would then, from their masters, make copies for four people who I see. already had like a-, a And they a, would branch out, so to speak. Pot, right. And, okay. that, and, this, and this is how, so, you know, it was a big deal. Like you remember the, um, when they went out to Olympia and Salem, uh, on November 30th and G- December 1st, 1994. Like you just remember reading about it on rec.music.fish mm-hmm. that, wow, wait till you hear what went down at Olympia. Wait till you hear what went down at Salem. And if you got to hear a show, say, three or four or five days after it happened, that was a big deal. Yeah. And if you got to be, as I did a few times, be the first person to have a, that tape at oh. your university. And at Syracuse, too. Syracuse was like ground zero. for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was yeah. we were perfectly, we were like six hours from everywhere. So yeah. we could, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you, we could drive, I mean, that great December 95 month. We, we were in New Haven. We were in Niagara Falls. Were we you were at Port- Albany? Albany, Albany uh, fourth yeah. row. Fourth <laughs> row. That, that was tour, a heavy night, man. That, was that great. tour, the fish mail order, I swear that they knew who we were. And they <laughs> hooked up all of our friends with, uh, we had front row tickets for the second night of Lake Placid. We had fourth row seats for Albany. Like we were all opening our mail order tickets in our little circle of friends. And we were all pulling these amazing tickets for mail order. And this kind of mail order kind of ties into the early days of mail order ties into what I was about to say about the tape trees. Cause it was, you know, and, and there were always these handmade covers for the tapes that people would, you know, people would often write them, you know, with calligraphy or the point is it was a labor of love. Yeah. And it was time and energy invested because you felt like this was a precious thing. And a tangible were, thing you can hold and right. be and care about. Yeah, absolutely. And then anticipation, <laughs> you know, just to get to hear a show that you'd already heard about, but you could only imagine what it was going to be like. Um, and, the, and I think mail order, because of the way that they made you have to jump through all these different hoops and get everything exactly right and get a, a money order with the name of the show and the date and the exact amount, you know, written out for every single show. Again, it rewarded devotion, almost a religious devotion. And if you could perform the ritual correctly, it would invoke into your life this experience. That's why I'm still a big fan of vinyl. I think that listening uh, to records, because you stop and you take your time Mm -hmm. and you take the record out and you have to handle it gently. You know, there's the anticipation of the needle hitting the record. And it creates more of a religious spiritual experience listening to music than just the disposable it's everywhere around you it's at the touch of a button you know you can have any song of any time in history it makes it more special and i think wherever we invest that kind of religious ritual presence in our life we'll find that right you don't find zen on mountaintops you find the zen that you brought there with you and i think that's one of the things that that experience really taught me incredible man absolutely yeah, well incredible. said yeah, yeah i mean as someone who used to have five thousand records i i hear you that was uh <clears throat> that was a thing and you yeah. would put on you put on a record and you would listen all the way through yeah when you have disposable button pushing that you know you're jumping from song to song to song to song 
you're not you're not listening to a whole album the way it was intended the way that they put tracks together and and for the flow you know it's everything is out of order yeah i mean i agree vinyl is so much superior and the sound is just deeper and richer and the the thin sound that we've become accustomed to on you know uh the spotify or whatever digital music is 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 not as not nearly as good quality as when you put a you know, your brain knows the difference. Up. I think your brain knows the difference between analog and digital. One hundred percent. You know, it's like going. Yeah, go ahead, George. I was going to say a lot of folks today say, "Oh, you know, you sound like a boomer," even though everyone hears Gen X. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the perspective I have is like people are so late. I think people that say music, there's no good music anymore. I think that's lazy because there is good music. But yeah. what I will say is. is, they don't tend. To, the difference between about music in the olden days was you had professionals playing analog instruments. Whereas today, an artist, for various reasons, because I know it's challenging to you know, get professionals to pay them, you can make a quality song on your own with a laptop. So digital sounds different. You know, How many rolling hi-hat subwoofer songs? Like there's not a lot of innovation. You know, In the olden days, people sounded different. Prince sounded different than Michael Jackson from David Bowie, from Madonna, so on and so forth. But the difference there, I think people were playing analog instruments. And I think, you know, a lot of artists these days are just pure digital. And there are good musicians out there. But, you know, I wish there would be a more embrace of uh, the analog sound because that's what the vinyl sound was. And it, it, it's just so different if you hear like Motown or, you know, like the British Invasion and what have you, punk rock bands. Like playing analog instruments is... Um, you know, much more pure, I guess. Sigmund, do you, uh, you catch um, any of Trey's uh, interviews or, uh, or playlists on uh, his, on their XM channel? No, no. And like, he, he's, he's got, so fish is on channel 29 and uh, mm -hmm. in the mornings uh, he'll put out, he, he just, it's the most eclectic, mm -hmm. everything from Nick cave to sure. Harambin or what? what's that band? I mean, just some awesome eclectic music. If you ever get the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Morning, man. And it's fantastic. And this goes back to the uh, ball radio, right? Yeah. Um, because I remember. Yeah. Which which one did he do? He did a couple of shows. I think he did Eye on Tom Waits and Eye on Pavement. Oh, yep. I, I during, remember. Yes. I remember during Tom Waits. The, yes. the, the, couple, the couple of days of ball radio. And one of the other funny things I, I, before we move on, I mean, I could. And I knew listening to the show this morning, guys, that I, when the show was over, I was going to wish it, it was going to keep going and we could go on for a few hours. <laughs> we did it's our good. jobs, man. Yeah. Well, no, okay, the but listeners I wanna, I, feel the same way. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I, a couple of things I just want to, uh, in preparation for the show, like just some images. So one of the things about Fish, I think that everybody liked, uh, in addition to that sense of belonging, was you were in on the joke. I mean, sometimes truly there was a joke that they, you know, all the secret language was you could freak out people that were at their first show where everybody like turned around and cheered at the back of the room instead of them and things like that. So you were in on the joke. And I think that part of being in on the joke also was making fun of yourself, right? You know, and if you remember ball radio, uh, the slogan was ball all the time. <laughs> and, you know, fish is, a fish crowd is 
It's a sausage fest. I mean, it's a dude. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way around Wait, it. It's, it's a dude. bunch of white dudes. Yeah, pasty dudes. It's a yeah. bunch of pasty yeah. dudes. And, you know, so I think that ball all the time was a wink. The, yeah oh i would absolutely agree pasty man. white dudes in cargo shorts and flip-flops and, yeah uh, nailed game it. hats white you nailed hats. it you yeah. nailed it I, lord as we as we approach the uh, as we approach the hour here i want to ask you do you have a favorite show is that a fair thing to ask someone i don't think it is i i, I think it changes for people personally i have a show that stuck out for, for me for a long time can't Call it my favorite, but uh, I was wondering, do you have a show that sticks with you or no? Oh, there's so many. I mean, it's more like yeah, I I have mean, a show that doesn't stick with me. Yeah. Um, I, like four or five shows just jump and try to all run through the door at once when you ask me that question. But the one that I have to give the, the showcase to here is the July 29th, which is my wife's birthday, uh, 2003 show in Burgettstown at Starley because that's my home that's truly my hometown venue I mean we would camp in my aunt's backyard and we would drive down the back road from Washington PA to Burgestown PA which is where my dad's side of my family settled originally so it really is a hometown show what a and, special thing and and that show uh was the show where I think that maybe it was a Brad that got on them about the shows were getting kind of too monotonous or predictable and they came out and they opened with uh, Daniel Saw the Stone. And who doesn't, who doesn't want more gospel in their life? Yeah. <laughs> which, was, which was, if you were, you know, a fish historian or you were there, like in 1993 on the amazing Summer 93 tour, that was often an opener. And they played, like, immediately at first, they played Cool It Down and Timber Ho oh, and awesome. Camel Walk, all this stuff in the first set. We're like, wow. This is just the first set. It doesn't even matter what they play in the second set. Yeah. And then they did like a, and then they came out and dropped right into Cross-Eyed and Painless to open up the second set. Which at that point, everybody's like, "Oh, you got us! Like, forget it! Like, we're we're you know we're done." The and, looks, and, the looks, the people around you. Yeah. That's, the, that's part of the like, best part. Oh, it's gonna be that kind of night. <laughs> yes. Okay. And that went on for about like 30 min, 20, 25, 30 minutes. Um, and and you know they they settled down into um, Thunderhead, which was you know. I, room song i think and then um brother which is always fun also yeah. and then there was about a good two minute pause for everybody to build anticipation and they and they went into harpua and and that's like the song that's the song like that's the song because it's the song it means something extremely special that only happened tonight is going to happen and then there's a lot more to it but i, I mean i just remember this feeling of like um you know, they actually did it. Like they actually put together a show to say, okay, let's actually, like we usually do something that's gonna blow everyone away, but let's do something really special tonight. And it was with my hometown, which, you know, so many people that I knew gathered around us. And uh, uh, so many though, so many unexplainable things would happen at, at fish shows too. Cause this is again, pre-cell phones and things like that. Like, how are you gonna meet up with your friends? But you always met up with your friends. Yeah. They would pull one of the parking spot right next to you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I wish I could say one other thing about Clifford Ball before I forget. It, when you got there, they gave you this map. You had no idea there was gonna be all this stuff. Carnival rides. Ball yeah. square? Oh, yeah. What was ball square? <laughs> yeah. My favorite part was if you were either in Camping Kirk or Camping Picard. That's <laughs> right. And again, it's always the, it's the in-joke. It's the nerd humor. It's, it's the wink, you know? There's yeah. always a wink. 
And I think that that's one of the things that is a, a motif of fish is like, we're so serious about it, but the thing itself doesn't take itself seriously. And yes. it has, has that nice, you know, paradox yin yang thing going on. I, I'm, you've put that so perfectly for anybody that's not a fan. I would hope that they would give it a shot because that is just really so perfectly put. Absolutely. Just real quickly, I, did you happen to be at 2015 uh, Las Vegas for Halloween? No, no. Um, I think, you know, uh, sadly, I think um, I've seen maybe like seven or eight shows in, in, in 3.0, but I enjoyed watching that live. Oh my God. I was there on the floor with my friend yeah. Shane and we hadn't seen each other since the Clifford Ball. Right. And oh, it wow. was, it, we, we got together and we, we, we got a suite at the MGM and we, I, I was supposed to have tickets on will call from a, a connection and we got on the floor and when they got to that Halloween set, nobody knew what was happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can, if you ever do yourself a favor and watch the, the video of that set, it is absolutely yeah. amazing. It was, and then, and then just to think of 10,000 fish fans pouring into the casino at the end of the, was yeah. one of the funnest <laughs> and funniest nights I've ever had in my life. Guys throwing dice off the table. <laughs> right, oh, right, right, right. Oh my God. Sigmund, yeah. uh, the, the yeah. fact that you spend your, I know we don't have too much time. I know you got to jump, but I just thought uh, it'd be interesting to ask, uh, you know, you spend your professional life covering football and uh you know like you said that's probably as far away from uh, the fish crowd as possible what were your thoughts when uh the seattle seahawks adopted uh, a fish song yeah. to uh, let russ know he's about to start cooking i know right uh and now we have that producer for fox that drops in a lot of jam stuff yep. and, yeah and, and yeah the, and the yeah he always too. does a lot of seattle grunge whenever i love when there's a seattle game because they always have the sound guard and Jane's addiction. Uh, I mean, not Jane's addiction, Allison chains, all those bands and some mud honey probably, but that must've been cool as a fish oh, fan yeah. to like, now everyone's talking about fish in the football world, right? That must Cecil probably had no idea what you're, you're talking about. He said about. he's going to go to a fish show with me. One day. <laughs> ah, he's he said oh, that's he great. He yeah. said he will. No, uh, look, um, it's fun too. And it all comes back to the end joke, right? Cause whether it's the, the dead or fish, uh, one of the best line of plot shirts to get were the ones that were a corporate logo changed to a title of a song right yeah. snapple like, or simple was Snapple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there were so many of them they were yeah. they were wonderful they, they glide tied you know and there was a lot of good ones for the grateful dead too i think there was one that was like light said light beer it said lesh you know yeah um and the thing is like to most people in the world they would just see that as they wouldn't even notice it probably their brain would just resolve it as the logo but if you were in the in-group, it was a wink. It was this little secret. There was in, in the Doniac, I don't even say that right. Like the secret, what's the secret sign you give to people that are uh, also into fish? Uh, anyway, <laughs> the point is that it, it, the idea is that, it, it, again, it's that sense of belonging. Like, like you get it. And, and I think the Wilson thing was fun. The one I remember was, because you brought up the Penguins. And of all the sports folk heroes, I was too young to be alive for Roberto Clemente. I think Roberto Clemente is the ultimate Pittsburgh folk hero in sports. Mm -hmm. And if you mm -hmm. go to Puerto Rico and you mention Roberto Clemente, I mean, he really is like, I mean, he's, he's, he's beyond, he's, um, divinity. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be that, you know, a blasphemous. Um, but then it was Mario Lemieux. Yeah. Growing up in the eighties, Mario Lemieux was 
it was like Paul Bunyan or something. <laughs> and um, I remember when he came back from Hodgkins, oh, yeah. uh, the night he came back, ESPN came in with Chalk Dust Torture. Can oh I Live While God. I'm Young? And I just remember this feeling of like, wow, like this song was written so it could be the backdrop for this moment. And uh, so, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there like that. And I think that, you know, we can geek out on fish, but I think that whatever people find out in the world, that's like a mirror and they see themselves in it. Um, the internet has facilitated people finding their people, finding that tribe in a way that was unimaginable before it. And it's, I think it's, there's things that, you know, again, we're not necessarily in a lot of out groups or marginalized groups or underrepresented groups. So it's harder for us to understand how many doors have been opened because of that. But it's the same kind of doors uh, that were open to all of us through fish. Well put. Well awesome. put indeed. Cool. Um, Let's talk jazz fest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you, you're, you're a new, you're, how long have you been in New Orleans? Just, just since December, 2018, but I heard the siren song the first time I came here in 1997. Uh, wow. Fish played there in 96 and 14, I believe. Yes. I was here for, a, and in 99, uh, Michael oh, Ray, oh, cool. Michael Ray and the Cosmic Crew came out for that one. Oh, too. awesome. And they played jazz fest and they were not, very happy with what well, didn't oysterhead get together at jazz oysterhead fest? did get together at jazz fest um yeah and look the jazz fest after show scene is really where it's at i mean oh, just man, the, i'd love just, to go when you're just the after show scene in uh 2019 i saw kamasi washington at three o'clock in the morning like i uh, uh, um jesus uh, another show robert glasper uh, played and at like one in the morning, Kamasi Washington. Everybody who's here and everybody just wants to play with everybody. And it goes all night, every night. Um, all kinds of amazing things happen. The other thing about Jazz Fest that people need to know, and it's our, we're all the right age for Jazz Fest now, right? Like Mardi Gras, whenever you're in your 20s, yeah. early 20s, preferably. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this age, we're in our 40s. Or I don't want to put any tags on anybody. Maybe no, you're right. Um, <laughs> Jazz Fest is that speed, you know. One of the things I want to other other thing I want to bring out about Jazz Fest is that the food at Jazz Fest is incredible, and there are things that you can only get at Jazz Fest. There's no restaurant you can go to to get it. There's no place you can go, no pop up or anything. It's only at Jazz Fest, and people have their lists of what order they're going to go and get certain things because you have to make sure that you get. A Creole stuffed bread. You have to make sure you get a cushion goulet po board. You have to make sure you get some crawfish monica. You have to make sure you get a mango. You know, there's just all these things, and it really is uh, a, a, the full New Orleans experience. And because we're old guys, <laughs> it's it's over by like seven o'clock. Right? <laughs> so then you can go get a breather, and then go get to your ten o'clock show or your midnight show or something like that, um, and start it over. So I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's in scheduled to be in October. I live like six blocks from the fairgrounds. Amazing man, uh, yeah, and and, and, and I could is go, a special place for all of us for sure. Yeah, I could go on and on about New Orleans because none you're part of New Orleans. There's nothing you love more than New Orleans. New Orleans loves itself some New Orleans, and um, <laughs> I I'm ready to be the president of the like uh, tourist bureau. Except the tourism industry is corrupt here and controls everything. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the evil, um, you know, tourism corp that ruins everything at the same time. That's the thing about New Orleans. It's the setting for these epic stories. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, the duality of opposites um, splits here. Uh, you know, you're, you have one foot in the spirit world and one foot in the physical world. And all kinds of things are possible here that are not possible anywhere else. 
um, I, I could go on and on. And that's why I, I said, like, I knew this show. Would, I, I, I knew this show would be one that I, when it's over, I would just feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> just getting started. <laughs> hey, man, you're welcome to come back uh, anytime you like. And it's, um, I know it's just a super busy season for you with the draft and uh, coming up. And it, can we count on the Jets to screw it up? Is that? Uh, I mean, I never in question. It's going to be Zach Wilson. It's going to it's going to be Zach Wilson. Um, I mean, it's not, I, some people say it's not really in pen, but I, I, I mean, I, the good news is that it's a question of Woody Johnson and the own bad ownership versus Robert Saleh and the 49ers program and all, everyone he's brought with him saying, we have a very clear picture of our plan, kind of like what Sean McDermott did in Buffalo. You know, we have a very clear picture. We have three, four, five years to do this and uh, it, it, it can work. I don't think Zach Wilson would be necessarily who I would pick. Uh, at two, but at least it's not Mac Jones. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, hey guys, real quick, uh, wait, real quick. Yeah. Did you ever get to see uh, at Jazz Fest anybody like Don Cherry or or Nett Coleman or all my favorites? Roy like, Ayers. Uh, I, I got to see Roy Ayers. Okay. Um, I got to see George Duke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, George Love Duke George played Duke. with Zappa for a while. Oh right? my God! Yeah. yeah that's um, mm-hmm. um, some of the better jazz stuff I got to see. Um, Herbie Hancock. Um, and headhunter is one of my favorite records yeah oh yeah yeah so you know you get in the jazz tent every year there's just a handful but i'm a big fan of that new west coast get down that's why i bring up kamasi washington and robert glasper the west coast get down is i think the best thing that happened in music like in the last 10 or 20 years um and uh so i'm hoping maybe we'll get thundercat this year i don't know Uh, are you familiar with the california honey drops yes that, that's a fun and great band. They're about, I think they're probably like a 12 piece horns, mm-hmm. the whole deal. A lot of fun from, yeah, there's, from Oakland. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, tower of power, right? I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Uh, so um, it, it's, it's, it, and that's another nice thing about jazz fest too, is you'll get all the great new Orleans staples, but then you will, the Tory acts, they get one of the years I came, Frank ocean was here. Oh, yeah. Cool. Jazz fest, yeah. you know, like how many times people get an opportunity to see, frank ocean and, and they'll bring through people like that too um so yeah highly i highly recommend everyone come to jazz fest let me know i'll oh, be it's on copy sure. that <laughs> yeah. i was All there right. in uh in 06 after the hurricane and oh, oh. uh it was it was uh it was an amazing experience yep. on, on multiple levels um uh, mm-hmm. springsteen and dylan played yep and uh it was uh it was amazing Never i think this cool uh, Springsteen did some uh, Pete Seeger songs. I want to say, Springsteen yeah, it was, did it was the Seeger thing. Sessions band. Yeah, yeah. And um, the John Butte, who's like from an amazing, famous New Orleans music family, the John Butte version of Randy Newman's Louisiana 1927. It, it, it brings me to tears every time. It's incredible, incredible. Like anybody listening, if you haven't listened to John Butte doing Louisiana 1927, 2006 Jazz Fest, do it right now. Pause this and come back. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of. I've got a lot of homework. I've written a couple of things down. Oh yeah, and, man. Uh, there's a lot of food for thought. And um, Pete, how are we doing on that slide piece? Is it time to change the water? Do you need me to, to hit the citrus a little bit? Or I just, I just, I, I just want to say. I mean, I'm sure we all feel the same. Man, it, it, what a pleasure speaking with you, man. I mean, we, like we could really. We we're just scratching the surface. I, I do hope uh, 
we get to do this again because man uh it, talking fish and music in general and just traveling with you man you you uh yeah. you you get you you i think you get the same thing we're we're all we're all getting man you you, you appreciate your experiences and exactly and uh and you appreciate the moments that you spend in your presence and uh we, we really appreciate that very much oh it's it's my pleasure stay in touch don't be a stranger absolutely will, man uh, and uh we'll be tuning in to uh the football guys podcast especially around the draft uh we appreciate you man and definitely would love to have you back man hey, oh george, can't wait. george let me sign off on the uh little bit of business there real quick sure so if anybody has any uh, comments suggestions ideas for the show for five dollar buzz please reach out to us at five dollar buzz at gmail.com that's spelled out five dollar buzz <laughs> at gmail.com thank you everybody Thank you.